Well, I'm often an optimistic person, but I can easily become kind of cynical. After I've been burned a few times by somebody, uh, I kind of become a person that says, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll believe it when I see it, right? I don't know if anybody else is that way. But at some point for me, if I do become a little cynical, then seeing is believing at that point. I want to see the evidence. I want to see it actually happen. I, I want to believe somebody. I really do want to believe them when they tell me. But if I've been burned, then their actions, if they don't align with what they've been saying, it's hard to get past that, right? I just can't get past what I see in their life, in their actions. I have a hard time believing them if it doesn't line up. Because at that point for me, seeing is believing. And I think that probably makes sense to most of us. I think most of us might be a little bit like that. Um, fool me once, shame on you, right? But fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, we learned that phrase and that truth at really a very early age. We learned that words don't mean as much when the actions don't line up. And at that point, actions mean everything. We all remember broken promises, don't we? We remember that. We still remember many of those broken promises because we carry those with us. And we all know that actions speak louder than words. And I'm saying that because we're going to highlight today some actions of Jesus. Now, Jesus, his actions, they spoke very loudly, very loudly. The thing that we need to understand is if we want to understand Jesus and what he says, all we have to do is look at his actions. That's all we have to do. And if you're like me, if you're like me, you might agree when we look at Jesus that seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. And if that's true, then we need to lean really hard into the actions of Jesus. So what we're going to be reading this morning in just a moment happened just a few months before Jesus was arrested, before he was tortured, crucified, and then before he rose again right after that. So as usual, the religious snobs are around Jesus and they are not happy with Jesus. And during this conflict that is in process between Jesus and these religious snobs, Jesus whips out this statement and it just sends the Pharisees, these religious snobs, into a fervor. We're not going to unpack this today, but I am going to mention it. During this conflict, um, Jesus has them frothing at the mouths, and he, here's what he says to them. He says, and Justin's going to have it on the screen for us. He says, I tell you the truth, these words of Jesus, before Abraham was even born, he said, I am. Now, this is amazing because Jesus is saying to these religious snobs, hey, Abraham, whom you hold way up here, uh, I'm more important than Abraham. And then what sends them absolutely over the edge is are the last two words. And he said, oh, and by the way, uh, that, that name of God that was given to Moses when God said, I am the great I am, Jesus said, that's me. I Before Abraham, I am. And the Pharisees went berserk. 
And they began looking around and they were looking for stones. They picked up stones. They were about to kill. They didn't pick up stones to go paint rocks. They were picking up stones to go kill Jesus. This would have been too early. Could not have happened because that's not how Jesus is going to save the world by stoning. So he knew he had to slip away and he did. So Jesus has just escaped death prematurely. He knew this wasn't the time. He just escaped death. He just experienced yet another massive rejection from the Jewish elite. So I can imagine there are some emotions going on for Jesus. But even though all of that was happening, here is where we pick up this story. And we want to look at what John is telling us. Uh, The next thing that's recorded that Jesus does after this experience, and that's where I want to pick up this uh, biography of Jesus, John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Verse 2, Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now, the disciples are asking really a simple question. And we look at that question and we're like, oh my goodness, that's kind of rude just to assume that there's sin going on just because this guy's blind. We understand there's birth defects, there's things that happen, things that don't form right, things that go wrong. Why, why are you assuming sin? So we look at that and we're like, Y'all are rude. But for them, we have to cut them some slack because they had been taught from a very young age the oral tradition, which is like uh, uh, the rabbi's own personal commentary on what they thought the law was all about. So it wasn't God's law. It was man's law, the oral tradition. And they had been taught. Later, that was good. oral tradition would be written down in, in volume form and fill volume after volume after volume called the Talmud. But right now, at this point, it's still oral tradition, and they had been taught this. Dustin will have it on the screen. There is no death without sin, and there is no suffering without iniquity. So they had been taught from a young age that if something is wrong in somebody's life physically, it's always a sin problem. The question was, whose sin was it? Now, that's not good theology, but here's what they do. They ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, what's going on here? Can you give us some theological reasons, answers for what's going on in this man's life? Can you unpack this for us? Here's what Jesus says. He says, well, it's not because of his sins. Oh, so it must be his parents. Nope, nope. Or his parents' sin. Nope, that's not it, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now we listen to that and we're like, oh my goodness, Jesus, that sounds a little cold. Why does he have to suffer so that God's power can be shown? I mean, we think think that doesn't make a lot of sense. That's a little cold. That's, That's a little unjust. But Jesus does not pause to explain that for us, he kind of just keeps moving through. So this morning, we want to talk about something very significant that happens in the context of this whole story. Remember, Jesus just faced another massive rejection, and and he also faced near death, near execution prematurely. So this is big. But what we notice 
is that we don't see Jesus shaken up. Not a bit. And in fact, I want to read you a quote from one theologian who he said this a long, 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 long time ago. James Boyce, listen to what he said. And talking about Jesus here in this moment. We find him calm and self-possessed, acting with a profound disregard for his enemies and their hatred. That was Jesus. He was not shaken. In fact, we find this. Jesus was often berated, but he was never ruffled. That's what we find in Jesus. No matter what was going on around him, he just kind of made it through, unruffled. The actions of Jesus speak so loud. The amazing thing is that all the actions of Jesus also line up completely with his words. But we don't just have to take those words. We can look at the actions of Jesus. They speak so loudly. And I think the actions of Jesus in this moment speak really loudly. Because as Jesus is walking up to this and passing this man... To the disciples of Jesus, this man in his illness, in this sad state that he was in, they just saw a blind man and it was kind of a puzzle for them. They were trying to figure out the puzzle, a riddle. They were just trying to figure out the solution. They showed no interest at all in helping this man. They just wanted to talk about the cause, the theological condition this man was in. But no, 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 not Jesus. His actions were speaking loudly. Jesus had a very different focus. Jesus isn't really interested in talking about the theology in this. He just just gives them a little bit of an answer. Jesus is intently focused on actually helping this man. Now listen to what the theologian Charles Spurgeon, and I just make a note here, I don't agree with everything that any theologian has ever written, and they don't agree with everything I've ever taught. But this comment from Charles Spurgeon, I definitely agree with this. I want to read it to you. Charles Spurgeon said about this moment and this experience with the disciples and Jesus, he's giving us a little breakdown that applies to us today, even though he wrote this in the 1800s. Here's what it says. Let us then be less inquisitive and more practical, Charles Spurgeon says. Let's less cracking doctrinal nuts and more for bringing forth the bread of life to the starving multitudes. That's a great quote. The ministry of Jesus is filled with action. Yes, we have lots of words from Jesus, but oh, we have so much action to follow with Jesus. And most of our biographies of Jesus, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are filled with the things Jesus did. Yes, we have his words there too, but they're filled with his actions. Wow. Jesus tells these disciples, listen, this problem that he has, this blindness, it has nothing to do with sin. Has nothing to do with his or his parents. In fact, Jesus doesn't even really address sin in this moment. But what he does do next is he says something that's kind of for us a little bit of a a whiplash. And he doesn't really break this down, although we did teach on this specifically just a few months ago, these two verses. But I want to read what he says next. Here's what Jesus says next. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming 
and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is saying, we're not going to pause here and break down theology. We have too much work to do. Too many things that the Father has sent us to do that we must do. And in fact, this is just months before Jesus is going to die. And he knows. He knows. It's coming quickly. And that's something that only he can do. Something that only he can do. It's as if Jesus is saying, listen, guys, right now, at this moment, the time for talking is done. We got to go to work. You know, sometimes Jesus would come up to a person or they would come up to him and he would ask them, do you want to be healed? That's not what happened here. This time, that's not what happened. Let me read to you what happened. John chapter 9, now we're on verse 6. Jesus just simply goes to work. He spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And now he tells him, verse 7, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent, John tells us. And you might be wondering, well, why did Jesus choose to heal the man like this? Well, I do want to say this. Coming up in January and February, we're going to give you a much better answer than I'm going to give you right now. But here's the answer I have for you right now. Why did Jesus choose to heal the man like this? And I want to tell you very emphatically, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't really know. But I do promise you a better answer in January or February. Here's what we can say. Jesus healed how he willed. The way he decided to do it, yeah, well, that's the way he decided to do it. And that's what he did. He could have spoken and the man was healed. He had done that before for other people. He could have chose, but in this, in this instance, he did not choose that. In this instance, he chose the muddy method for some reason. Maybe Jesus possibly, I don't know, was just kind of moving further away from that oral tradition, those man-made laws about the Sabbath. There were God's laws about the Sabbath, but then they came along and added to it. Maybe he was moving further away from that to make a point. Because according to them, that was work. So they said, you cannot spit on the ground and make mud, Jesus, because you just worked on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus never sinned, and that's exactly what he did was to spit on the ground and make mud. So clearly that was not work. Maybe, possibly, he was moving further from their man-made rules. We don't know. We don't know the answer, but we will talk about it more in January, February. So let's move on. So he says, so the man went and washed, and came back seeing. This is kind of impressive to me. This is immediate obedience. You have spit, then mud, then a command, and then he goes and he immediately obeys. Immediately. It looks as if Jesus is sending this blind man out to just kind of wander around and find his own way to the pool because he's not seen yet. And even if he could see, he had mud all in his eyes. So it wouldn't, but he couldn't see. It's just kind of, the guy just immediately goes and obeys. It, that's just so odd to me. The blind man believed Jesus and he obeyed. Do you realize that God will do some amazing things with your 
obedience. And that's what great stories are made from. Obedience. In fact, I just want you to look around here today for just a moment. I want you to know in this room right here, in this room, there are stories and evidence surrounding this topic that God will do some great things with obedience. In fact, I'm, I'm going to have a seat because I'm going I'm to participate in this. I'm getting ready to ask you to do something I don't know that we've ever really asked you to do, Cole and I. Maybe versions of this, but this is going to be different. In fact, Cole and I are taking a risk. He's doing it today in Malvern. I'm going to take a risk right now because I'm going to ask you to do something we've never asked you to do before. We're going to ask you to participate in a very important way for the people in this room, the people around you. So here's what we're asking. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. I'm going to ask you a question, and if you can answer positively to either of the two questions I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you, will you simply stand? We're not going to ask you to come up here. We're just simply asking you to stand. We could have asked you to raise your hand, but I don't think that your friends can see that well enough. We want them to see you standing. So here is the question, and oh, it's a risk. I know nobody may stand, but I feel like, I feel like you're not going to let me down. For you, in the course of your life, can you point directly to a moment in your life where you obeyed something that God impressed upon your heart and you obeyed Him eventually? You obeyed. And He did something amazing in your life. Don't stand yet. I'm going to ask my second question. Or here's the second question. Have you seen God do something great in the life of someone else who's close to you to the point that you were kind of a first-hand person in their life and you saw it happen and you could, if we were to ask, we're not going to, but if we were to ask, you could tell us, give us a, a eyewitness testimony of this person's life and say, yeah, I saw God change them. And so we're talking about maybe a relationship uh, got solved and brought back together that you thought was impossible. Or maybe uh, something big happened with God helping them come out of something or get through something or for you. Or maybe perhaps, no, no, the relationship did not come back together, but you saw God do something to see them through that moment or that hurt or that pain and God saw them through to the other side when everybody else looked and said, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they got to the other side of that. It could have been something physical. It could have been emotional. It could have been relational. I don't know. But if you've seen God do that, either in your life or someone you know, I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to participate too, will you stand right now? And I hear people standing. So please just stand for just a moment. And I want you to look around this dark room for just a moment. Let your eyes look around. Seeing is believing. And I simply want to say this, can't you see? 
Can't you see that if God can do something in their lives and in the lives of somebody close to them, can't you possibly see that just maybe God can do something in your life as well? In fact, we are not asking you, nor is God asking you to have a blind faith. It's not blind because we're looking around and seeing the results of God's work right now. And if God can do something in and around their life, he can do it for you. You may be seated. Thank you so much for exceeding my expectations. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God invites you to search the scriptures to find evidence that his actions, he does what he says he'll do. He's not going to let you down. I, I hesitate to phrase it this way, but I'm going to. He invites you to search the scriptures, but even better yet, would you look as you did, look around you to those very lives who were standing, and they are saying, they are testifying that God has shown up and acted on my behalf and on the behalf of someone I love. Wow. That's not blind. That's not blind faith. Now let's move back into the text, okay? Thank you so much. Let's move back into the text. Now, I, I, one thing I notice about this miracle that Jesus is performing is that there's nothing flamboyant about it. This man just, there was spit, mud. The man just went and washed. Jesus wasn't even following him to the pool. He went by himself. I mean, that's that somehow the blind man got there. Like God was, it's like, can you imagine telling a blind person to go find these GPS coordinates? Well, that's what happened. And he did. He got there and he came back seeing. The miracle itself was not really the focus of this passage. What really is the focus is what happens next. The massive impact of this miracle. Most of the story is the impact, and that's where we go next. Verse 8. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar ask each other, Hey, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Verse 9, some said he was, others said no. He just looks like him. So in other words, they're seeing now the results, but they're not believing. They're not believing. No, this can't be it. Some said yeah, some said no. I mean, they're talking, word is getting out, word is spreading, and it's like they're saying, hey, wait a minute, that looks like, didn't that look like John and Martha's kid from around town? You know, the one who has the thing that, you know, you know that one, yeah, but it sure looks like him. I don't know. It can't be him. Certainly it can't be him. He, he's got that thing with his eyes. He can't. The whole town is talking. And you know this. For us today, most of us seeing is believing. But they're having a hard time believing. This whole time, this whole time, this formerly blind guy is sitting nearby and he hears all of this going on and he's like, yeah, 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 that's me. It's me. Here's what happens. But the beggar kept saying on and on and on. He kept saying, yeah, 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 it's me. It's the same guy. It's me. 
I'm the one right here. Yeah, it's me. And I can hear you, by the way. In fact, I can see you now. It's me. It's me. In spite of what they saw, in spite of what they saw, it seems for them it still wasn't enough. Verse 10. They ask, well, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they call Jesus. So this guy doesn't really seem to know anything about Jesus except his name. Maybe he had heard some stories. He's not sure. That man, Jesus, he goes on, made mud and spread it over my eyes. And he told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and I washed and now I can see. And they ask him, verse 12, well, where is he now? They ask. And he says, I don't know, he replied. And I think we could add to the story. I don't know because I couldn't see him, right? At that point, he had never seen Jesus. And now this is where it gets interesting. Verse 13. Then they took the man who had been blind. They took him to the Pharisees because that's what you did. Certainly it was on a Sabbath, and they, but they had to go prove that he could see now. That's just kind of what they did. And then it's complicated because this all happened on the Sabbath. Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus, verse 14, made the mud and healed him. Verse 15. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. That verb, ask, to us is, oh, they're just going to inquire. They're just going to ask a question. But no, no, no. The verb used for that means they were pounding on him. It was an inquisition. It was a giant. They asked, and they kept on asking. That's what that means. This isn't just like a one-off question. Oh, tell us your side of the story. No, this was, they were berating him. This guy had just been healed, and he's under interrogation. And he says, so he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. Okay, again, their rules. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinions among them. So they didn't agree on this. They're arguing among themselves. This can't be. It doesn't fit. I don't understand. You know, so they're going on and on. What are we going to do with all this? Really, it's the bottom line. Verse 17. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man. So they're back to the Inquisition, who had been blind, and he and they demanded of him, What's your opinion about the man who healed you? The man replied, I, th- I think he must be a prophet. His man answers. He, he's like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who Jesus is. But man, with this amazing power, with this amazing action, all I can think of, he thinks of the highest possible position that someone could hold in Israel. And he says he must be a prophet. So he, he assigns that possibility, that highest thing that he could imagine, must be a prophet. Must be. And even though all of this took place in Jerusalem, and then even though many people witnessed, saw for themselves this miracle, and even though all of this man's acquaintances were finally like, yep, it appears it really is him. He was blind, 
But now he can see these religious leaders, these snobs, they weren't having it at all. In fact, they tried to say that it was no miracle even at all. So now the snobs go to his parents and they ask his parents, hey, was this all legit? Did this really happen? But for some reason, the man's parents kind of throw the boy under the bus, the man under the bus. I mean, they say, well, he's old enough to speak for himself. Go talk to him. Go ask him. It's probably pretty certain they were picking up what was happening here. And they knew that they were in danger. They knew the Pharisees hated what was going on. They were really afraid to answer. So they knew they might be in danger of being caught up in all of this. And they might be, here's the term, cast out of the synagogue, which is not just like, hey, you're out for the day. We'll see you next week. No, if you were cast out of the synagogue, it was for the rest of your life. So they bring the Pharisee snobs, bring this poor fellow in again. And again, they demand, they say, tell us the truth. They say, God needs to get the glory from this, not this guy named Jesus. We all know, they're saying, Jesus, oh, he's a sinner because he did this on the Sabbath. There, we all know that. You see, no matter what they had seen, the Pharisees, no matter what they heard, about what went on, regardless of the reports that came in that were they were getting about Jesus, they simply wouldn't believe. Because it didn't fit, what they were hearing did not fit with their own beliefs about the way the Messiah was going to happen and all that was going to go on. Their traditions got in the way. And so they're looking at this man and they're saying, you tell us the truth now. To which this man, who was born blind, begging on the streets of Jerusalem, made one of the most famous quotes that we have heard in all of Scripture. And here's what he said, verse 25. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now... I can see. Oh, say that with me, that last phrase. Will you put that back up on the screen for me? Thank you. I don't know this. I was blind. And then say this last part. Now I can see. Say it one more time. Now I can see. Standing in front of them was a man who had an amazing story, a story of obedience, a story about how Jesus in a moment changed everything for him. I was blind and now I can see. And do you know what they did? They fell on their faces and worshiped Jesus. No, they didn't. They did not. You know what they did? They didn't seek Jesus out to understand him. They didn't worship Jesus. They did not begin to follow Jesus. No, 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 no. You know what they did? They took this guy who was blind and now he could see, and they kicked this poor guy out of the synagogue for the rest of his life. They cut him off from everything in his life up to that point that had been precious to him. Oh, they saw 
what happened that this man could now see, but they still did not believe. Please hear this. Like this man, your Jesus story is powerful. And I want you to know this. Don't be afraid to tell it. Because you are a walking, talking, evidence, proof of God's presence, care, love, and involvement in our lives every single day. Now, re-enter Jesus. Because apparently, verse 35, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and he asked. So now he's talking to this man. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now Jesus is clearly in this moment speaking of a personal faith in the Son of Man. Jesus. Personal faith. He's clearly talking about, asking this man, do you believe in, do you rely on, do you cling to the Son of Man? Fella, do you believe? Do you have faith in the Christ, the Messiah? Do you have faith in the Messiah? And this is what the man answers. He says this, to which the man answered, he, so very honestly, verse 36. The man said, he answered, Who is he? Sir, I want to believe in him. And Jesus responds, Okay. You have seen him. Think about that. Just a few days ago, that man had never seen anything in his entire life. He was born blind. And now he can honestly say, I have seen with my own eyes the Messiah. This is not a blind faith. Oh, no, 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 no. He has proof. He has evidence. And Jesus makes it very clear. Oh yeah, this Messiah? Here's what he says. Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. If anybody ever tries to tell you that Jesus did not claim these things of himself, that he was God, well, he's the I am. We just read it. Same story. That he is the Christ, the Messiah. We just read it. He said, yeah, that's me. Clearly, he's saying, that's me. I am him. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. In verse 38, here's what happens next. Yes, Lord. Then yes, if you're the Messiah, then yes, I have reason. I saw your eye. If yes, it's not a blind faith. I have actions that back it up. I can look to the evidence. It's not blind. Then yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshiped Jesus. It's the one place in the Gospel of John 
where anybody is said to have worshipped Jesus this side of the cross. And then here's what Jesus said. Then Jesus told him, verse 39, I entered this world to render judgment, to give, and then here's what, here's what that is. It's so amazing. I entered to give judgment and to give sight to the blind and then to show those who think that they see that they are blind. And of course, some of the religious snobs hear it because apparently they're everywhere. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying that we're blind? And Jesus hits them with some truth and he says in verse 41, If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. And ironically, through the eyes of a blind man begging for scraps on the streets of Jerusalem, from his opinion and from his experience, Jesus went, we're going to have this on the screen for you, Jesus went from just merely a man's voice speaking nearby to a prophet in this man's eyes. And then he quickly went from a prophet to a man sent by God until finally now he sees Jesus is his Messiah. He is the Son of Man. Jesus is this man's Savior. Wow. Such a powerful journey for this man seeing is believing. Faith is not blind. And I want you to know that around you in this very room, around you is story after story after story that could declare to you that yes, God is active and He's involved in His creation today. Testimony after testimony saying, Jesus changes everything. And I am one of those as well. So this morning, really, we have two next steps. And I believe one of the two certainly, surely, will apply to you. It's relevant to all of us. It's relevant to everyone listening online this morning. And here is the first one. I just simply, based upon what we just experienced, for when you looked around you in this room, stories abound, stories everywhere, testimonies everywhere that can all say, yes, God is real, and yes, He truly, truly cares. They would say, I have experienced it. I have witnessed it in the life of somebody close to me. And many of you have. Many in this room today. So here's the next step. Will you maybe for the first time begin investigating some of these stories in this very room? The people who just stood and said, yes, my life has been changed because of a relationship with Jesus. Would you? Would you possibly begin asking, can you tell me part of your story? When, if you're comfortable, would you tell me part of your story? I want to see the evidence. Will you share it with me? I want to see. Yes, God is still working. I want to see. See, we're not asking you to jump off and follow Jesus in blind faith. We don't have to. 
Jesus doesn't have to even ask you to do that. All you have to do is look around you. You can look all throughout Scripture, and you can look in this very room and investigate the evidence of people who say, Jesus is changing my life. Or you might fit better with the second step we're suggesting this morning. If you do have a story, if you in your life have felt the loving arms of the sovereign creator, God, wrapped around your life, we're asking you, would you begin to tell your story? Be ready to give an explanation if somebody asks you for the hope that you have, even when it seemed hopeless. And we want to hear your stories. Will you tell your story? Because my friends, seeing is believing. What is your family seeing of your story? What have they seen? What have your co-workers seen of your story? What have they heard of your story? Who is the person that walks into your office, into your place of work, into your business where you're employed? Who is that person that walks in there? Because I promise you, if you're following Jesus, there is plenty to see. Who walks into that college classroom? What story are you carrying into that room? That could be evidence for someone who needs to know that God is alive and involved in lives today. In this very room where we are today and listening online, we have story after story after, after story. And we hope that you are ready to tell it. Because people like that blind beggar who were wandering through the streets, streets of Jerusalem, People like you and like him and like me can say this. Here's my story. I was blind, but now I see. Thank you, Jesus. I can see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I, I can't answer every question of theology. I don't have all the answers. I, I can't break down all the doctrines. I, I can't break all that down and make it all make sense. I can't reveal all the mysteries of Scripture. But oh God, I know this. I was blind in my life, in my faith, in my hope. In my emotions, I was blind. But now, now I see. Oh, Jesus, I, I was blinded in my selfishness. I was blinded in my sin. But you lifted me up from that place and you took me and this life to your cross. And now I can see. Thank you, Jesus. All glory 
and all honor and all praise go to you. And it's in your name I pray this prayer, Jesus. Amen.